Welcome to the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. In the next 30 minutes, I'll bring you up to date on the important peer-reviewed research and reviews from our latest issue. Let's get started. Binge eating disorder is now included as a distinct eating disorder in the DSM-5. Individuals diagnosed with binge eating disorder experience psychiatric and somatic comorbidities and obesity. However, medication use in these patients has not been described in detail. This case-controlled study investigated medication use in the Swedish population using prescription data from the Swedish Prescribed Drug Register, which contains 99% of prescriptions dispensed in Sweden. Cases of binge eating disorder were 238 individuals diagnosed at eating disorder clinics. Each case was matched to 10 controls based on sex and year, month, and country of birth. Before diagnosis, binge eating disorder cases were significantly more likely than controls to have been prescribed nervous system, tumor and immune disorder, cardiovascular, digestion and metabolism, infectious disease, skin, and respiratory system medications. Binge eating disorder cases were also more likely than controls to have been prescribed various medications within 12 months after diagnosis, even after accounting for lifetime psychiatric comorbidities and for obesity. These findings confirm the high burden of illness in binge eating disorder. Because primary care physicians may not be familiar with binge eating disorder, and individuals may not volunteer information about their condition, primary care physicians should be aware of the diagnostic criteria. Early detection of symptoms and risk factors such as obesity, psychiatric and somatic comorbidities, and elevated medical and psychiatric prescription use is also critical to ensure that binge eating disorder is identified and appropriately treated. PTSD is a serious mental health illness triggered by exposure to trauma. Recent data suggests a lifetime prevalence of PTSD ranging between 8.3 and 10.4% in U.S. adults and even higher in U.S. veterans. There are limited treatment options available for PTSD outside of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and trauma-focused cognitive therapy. Prazosin is a sympatholytic alpha-1 adrenergic receptor blocker that has shown promise in the treatment of some of the debilitating symptoms of PTSD. This systematic review and meta-analysis was conducted to consolidate the existing evidence to evaluate the efficacy of prazosin in the management of PTSD. The findings indicate that patients with PTSD receiving prazosin had significant improvement in their sleep quality, dream content, sleep duration, and nightmares. Pull data indicate that patients taking prazosin stayed asleep longer compared to placebo. Furthermore, the benefits of prazosin are not restricted to sleep disorders alone, but flow over into the general well-being and early recovery from PTSD symptoms. In addition, prazosin also improved hyperarousal, 
global functional status, and overall PTSD symptoms. Such improvement could be due to relaxing sleep cycles, which lead to adequate rest, improved mood, and decreased anger outbursts. This meta-analysis provides further evidence in establishing prazosin as an effective and efficacious drug for PTSD. Prazosin is fairly well tolerated, with the most common side effects including hypotension, headaches, and drowsiness. The findings suggest that prazosin not only helps with nightmares and sleep disturbances, but also improves overall PTSD symptoms and functionality. Serotonin syndrome is a predictable and progressive syndrome, characterized by a clinical triad of symptoms, including mental status changes, autonomic hyperactivity, and neuromuscular abnormalities, which may occur with varying degrees of severity. Serotonin syndrome is more likely to occur when serotonergic agents are combined, but can occur with monotherapy at therapeutic or supra-therapeutic doses. Linzolid, a broad-spectrum antimicrobial agent, is a monamine oxidase inhibitor that increases the risk of developing serotonin syndrome when concomitantly administered with other serotonergic agents. Despite the numerous advantages of linzolid therapy, this risk is one of the disadvantages continuing to hinder its use. The case presented in this report describes a patient taking multiple serotonergic agents who developed severe acute osteomyelitis that required the use of linzolid without the possibility of a sufficient washout period. The severity of the patient's condition, in conjunction with an increased risk for serotonin syndrome, led the treatment team to prophylactically treat the patient with cyproheptadine. Some clinicians fear that the use of a serotonin antagonist, such as cyproheptadine, may exacerbate symptoms of a patient's psychiatric disorder. However, cyproheptadine, a potent histamine 1 and serotonin 2A receptor antagonist, may be an effective treatment option for certain patients with psychiatric disorders. As new serotonergic agents are gaining FDA approval, the potential for co-administration of these agents increases, and as such, so does the risk for serotonin syndrome. This increased risk emphasizes the need to revisit an old dilemma with a new therapeutic approach for improving patient outcomes. Patients with major depressive disorder have a high relapse rate. There are many variables determining the relapse rate, including non-compliance with medication treatment, not attending therapy sessions and medication management visits, and natural course of the illness. In subsequent episodes of major depressive disorder, the relationship between psychological stress and depressive relapse changes. Early episodes are often preceded by significant negative events. When depression remits, the patient's view of the world does not differ from people who never had a depressive episode. However, with subsequent episodes, stressful events play a progressively less important role. Mindfulness can offer tools by which patients' tolerance to stress, including normal stressors, increases. Mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, or 
MBCT, trains people to consciously pay attention to the present moment and to observe and accept thoughts and perceptions in a non-judgmental manner. MBCTs allow one to value his or her thoughts as mental concepts and not as immovable reality. This manualized group type of psychotherapy is easily administered in the long term and can free people from the distorted reality that they often create, allowing for more clear-sightedness and a greater sense of manageability in life. This study evaluated the effectiveness of MBCT in reducing the need for additional psychiatric services. The study evaluated patients who received MBCT over three years and demonstrated that MBCT decreased the need for care regardless of medication changes. The results raised the question of whether MBCT allows patients to respond to situations more skillfully or if MBCT itself decreases depressive symptoms. The study was funded by a grant from the Regional Research Committee of Kaiser Permanente, Southern California. Currently, more than 20 different pharmacologic options for treatment of ADHD exist from which providers may choose in everyday clinical practice. And there are numerous other stimulant and non-stimulant options in various stages of clinical development. This systematic review summarizes recent phase two through four clinical trials of pharmacologic ADHD treatments. Pharmacotherapy with stimulant and non-stimulant options is the most common approach for treating ADHD in adults and children. Stimulants are mostly formulated as either tablets or capsules. However, the newer generation includes transdermal patches, oral suspensions, chewable tablets, and orally disintegrating tablets. Non-stimulants are available in oral capsule and tablet formulations. A comprehensive understanding of the efficacy, safety profile, and administration features of each formulation is critical for proper treatment individualization. Despite the broad range of treatment options currently available, non-adherence remains a significant problem in patients with ADHD. Use of formulations that are acceptable to patients with ADHD and the availability of new formulations may improve adherence. Funding for this systematic review was provided through a research grant from NEOS Therapeutics. Patients with mental disorders are at high risk for developing dyslipidemia, diabetes, and the full criteria of the metabolic syndrome. Antipsychotic use exacerbates this risk, thus increasing the mortality in this population. Nevertheless, it seems that the risk for these side effects varies with each antipsychotic. Aripipazole has been considered to be a safe drug with regard to metabolic side effects. However, the literature shows conflicting results. The authors of this article review the literature on this topic and report three cases of serious aripipazole-related dyslipidemia in young subjects. They conclude that although by and large the literature supports the supposition that aripipazole causes less metabolic effects, 
monitoring of the triglyceride level and other criteria of the metabolic syndrome in patients taking aripiprazole should be considered. Now we invite you to engage online in an interactive CME case study from the Banner Alzheimer's Institute. The Banner Alzheimer's Institute case conference is a weekly event in which physicians and staff discuss challenging cases of patients seen at the Institute's Steed Family Memory Clinic. In this issue, we highlight the case of Ms. A, a 70-year-old woman with cognitive impairment, including insidious onset of speech changes. She is also experiencing functional impairment and has difficulty completing complex daily tasks such as managing household finances. The cognitive symptoms appear to worsen with excessive activity or stimuli and to improve after rest periods. Does Ms. A have a major neurocognitive disorder such as Alzheimer's disease, frontotemporal lobar dementia, or Lewy body disease? What would you expect to see on the neurologic examination? What treatment would you recommend? Visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to answer questions about this patient case and to find out how your colleagues who attended the weekly case conference responded in this instructive offering. Have you ever assumed that a patient who is crying has depression? Have you ever considered that non-psychiatric causes of crying may be present? Have you ever wondered if more specific interventions might be applied on the basis of the etiology of crying? If you have, then the case vignettes and discussion presented in this issue's Rounds in the General Hospital article should prove useful. The authors point out that crying is prevalent in the general hospital and should not be dismissed since the potential etiologies include serious medical, neurologic, and psychiatric conditions. Empathetic expressions, as well as pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic management, can provide relief to patients. Would you recognize levamisole toxicity in your patients? Adulteration of cocaine with levamisole is increasingly common, and cocaine-using patients often present to emergency rooms with levamisole toxicity in medical crisis. In this brief report, Lipman and colleagues present a case of levamisole toxicity in a 30-year-old woman and discuss treatment options. Please visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to read a new entry in our psychotherapy casebook section and special web-based interactive content. You will also find numerous case reports on a variety of topics. We update our website weekly with new postings, so there is always something new to explore. Also, we are excited to offer a digital flip page edition of this issue of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. This turn page format will give you the feel of holding a print journal in your hands while allowing you to seamlessly navigate from article to article. We hope you will take a look at our digital edition as we think you will like it. Thanks for joining me for this summary of offerings in our current issue of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me for the next installment of the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS Soundbites.